In chapters 8 and 9, we have just gone through that whole uh, focus on the uh, instruction that the Apostle Paul gave uh, to the Corinthians to join hands with those other brothers and sisters in other parts of the world there to uh, take up that offering for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, before that, we had chapters 1 through 7, and that uh, was filled with um, um, various comments that the Apostle Paul made to defend his ministry. And so we are kind of a little bit, as a reader, surprised that he is going right back to that, it seems. Um, and he has a few more things to say in subsequent chapters until we reach the end of this book. Um, so this matter of the division and disunity that was in the church of Corinth uh, that was plaguing uh, the life and ministry of the body of Christ there, um, that's really something that um, you, you have to choose your words carefully. Um, I was going to say he can't, uh, he can't let go of very easily. Um, we could say, you know, you've said enough about that. Um, but uh, Paul is not just fuming here. He's not just venting his frustrations. Uh, it's not on that level at all. Paul is always the apostle Paul. The, Paul is uh, definitely very human, and he admits as much, but he sees his function and role as the apostle to the Gentiles. And so the missionary God who has given us his missionary commission in the Bible itself as a whole, um, that mission-minded God is giving his apostle Paul um, the task of extending that mission to the nations, to the Gentiles in particular. And so when we go through these various points that deal with the fact that the, when there's conflict in the church, that that has an impact on the church's ability to focus on the Great Commission, basically, uh, that that is a, um, um, that that is a, a lesson that is worth um, remembering, uh, taking to heart, because the challenge that was Paul's in Corinth has been the challenge of all churches throughout the ages. There's nothing new to this. There were other churches, uh, I'm sure, as well. Look at the seven churches uh, in the, described in uh, the opening chapters of Revelation um, that had their various uh, afflictions. Um, but the question is not how do we avoid these problems, but how do we uh, solve the problems, not so that we merely say, okay, oh, it's behind us now, thank goodness, but that we can say the purpose of resolving conflict is so that the Great Commission can continue because that is what God is after and that's what we should be after. It is very important that we follow the mindset of the Apostle Paul very carefully when we go through these various points that he makes. So conflict in the church hinders the cause of the Great Commission and that may not seem all that obvious to you uh, when I extracted that theme from the passage, but I hope to make that clear um, as we go through the, through the text. Um, and we can't take care of every verse that we read, but um, the, 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 the thought of taking captive every thought uh, that he uh, writes in verse 5 that we as Reformed Christians have often uh, put to memory, uh, verses 5 and 6, um, that has the context of this particular background that I tried to describe for us um, a moment ago. 
So, so, um, so in chapter 10, the Apostle Paul resumes that concern about uh, those at this point who are the minority in that group, uh, in that church body. The majority have aligned themselves, realigned themselves with the Apostle Paul, but he gives these hints, these indications that there are still those stragglers uh, who uh, have an open ear to listen to the critics of the Apostle Paul um, to whom he kind of uh, uh, indirectly refers in the passage uh, we just read. But there is that definite language of battle in this uh, passage that we read, uh, wasn't there? Um, to win the battle of gospel ministry and the great commission Christ assigned to the church, Paul comes out even stronger now in this chapter than he did before to insist that he is the one Christ himself called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, text reference for that idea that he's called to the Gentiles is also Galatians 1.1, by the way. So consequently, it is not that there can always be perfect peace in the local church, uh, but the gospel itself inevitably provokes opposition and enmity by some inside and sometimes from the outside of the church. The, church, the church's mission is that all believers, um, all beliefs and arguments raised against the knowledge, as Paul says, uh, of, 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 of God, uh, must be destroyed uh, and take every uh, thought captive as a prisoner, you might say, to make um, all that is at odds with Christ uh, obedient to Christ. The nature of the church. Well, the church is in a battle, isn't it? Um, if you read verse 1, you immediately get the sense that the Apostle Paul is not talking about the battles that we hear about in the news. You know, the political battles, the military battles, the battles that are waging maybe in corporate America. Um, you know, all these big names that we hear about. Uh, Musk and so forth, and firing this one and that one, and all the you know the static that that uh, creates in the Wall Street and so forth, uh, and the tools that they have available to them to fight those battles. We're not talking about those battles. Um, you get that from the sentiment with which Paul opens his passage uh, here. I, Paul, myself, entreat you, beg of you, beseech you. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh and so forth. So the nature of this, of this conflict uh, in Corinth is the nature of the conflict that wages all the time and everywhere, it is the battle of the gospel that is um, what Paul is uh, thinking about. There's Christian warfare, and that is obviously different from the way the world looks at conflict and warfare, because Jesus himself said that his kingdom is not of this world. The nature of Christian warfare is that it is spiritual, um, and spiritual is the word by which we use the we, we establish the contrast between that which is not obviously spiritual, meaning it is of this world, 
And so everything of this world is temporal, temporary. It is of a passing nature. Uh, when we try to establish peace in some country in the world, uh, it is going to be wonderful when peace is restored and established, but it is of this world, it is of a passing nature. Uh, but when we deal with the gospel warfare, the gospel battles that need to be fought, uh, we deal with um, spiritual realities that of, of a higher world that is of the world to come. And that's what uh, Jesus pointed out so frequently in the gospels. Um, and so he can speak of himself as coming to them with meekness um, and gentleness. Uh, you wouldn't uh, associate that too quickly with a, a, a general, I suppose. If there's conflict, there's, a, there's a just acute danger, um, you're under fire, uh, you know, you're not going to uh, appreciate uh, uh, a person who is uh, really meek and mild, um, but you need uh, somebody who has some uh, forcefulness to him uh, or her, perhaps in these days, um, when you uh, lead uh, the forces in actual battle. Uh, this is not that kind of battle. Um, he says in verse 3, though we walk in the flesh, and we're part of this world, we're part of this passing order, of life on this side of heaven, though we walk in the flesh, we are not walking according to the flesh. And so here you have that very important uh, concept of the flesh that is quite um, broad and at the same time specific. Uh, the flesh refers to the created order in its fallen condition. Um, so post-fall of Adam, we live in a broken world, we say. Um, and so when it talks about the flesh, it then also incorporates the fact that it is sinful. Um, it is a flesh that not of itself repairs itself and seeks to uh, accommodate itself to, uh, to God's purpose and God's will and commandments. Um, so, yeah, we are the flesh, like our unbelieving neighbors. We are broken human beings, uh, but we are not waging war according to how human beings only think about conflict. Uh, because we live up to a higher order, a higher kingdom. The current world order and condition imply brokenness and alienation due to sin. So our Christian battle is not won when we have won all the conflicts that we have with people uh, and neighbors and, um, and um, in nations. Um, regardless of our national identity, our political persuasions, etc., Christians fight a war joining hands with every Christian brother and sister among all the nations. The lesson of application here is that, therefore, the Christian warfare that the church is engaged in is not to be confused or identified with Christians who seek, uh, let's say, just political objectives, which is so easy for us to do. But they're, 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 they're understandable, but they're not the same thing. Um, we're looking for the world that is to come. And all that stands in its way, it needs to be destroyed. And that is not physical stuff, people, but it is ideas, it's philosophy, it's ideology. And that is what verses 5 and 6 point out so clearly. That needs to come under the lordship, authority, obedience of Christ. And it isn't by itself. That's why the gospel has to come to the nations, to come to all unbelievers, whoever they are. Black, white, rich, poor, doesn't matter. All people everywhere 
are without Christ, lost forever, and they have been handed over to themselves, as the scriptures teach, that they uh, have their own wisdom and understanding. And it is an understanding that is blind to the truth. So you can be a, you know, a person who has a, an advanced degree in some science. You can be a Nobel Prize winner. But if you don't know the truth, if you haven't come to the knowledge and understanding of who you are outside of Christ and who you now have become in Christ by God's grace and through faith alone, uh, then it doesn't matter who you are and what you can brag about, but you are just as poor spiritually as everybody else in the world who is in a fallen condition. And so the nature of this battle is that it is spiritual. This is why this conflict needs to be settled so that the, the message can go on elsewhere because the battle is always going on. That's the second point. It's, it's fairly brief. But um, the Apostle Paul writes in the present tense when we re read these verses 5 and 6. And so the present tense in the Greek suggests that it is ongoing action. Uh, this is a, 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 um, this is a uh, objective um, when we, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete, uh, that taking captive of every thought is not seasonal. Um, like planting, you know, in the Midwest, you have a season to plant the seeds um, in, the, uh, in, in the soil, and then there's a, hopefully a season where you have harvest, um, and then there's a season when farmers do a bit of resting um, and relaxing and fixing the machinery to be ready for another season the next year. Um, this battle always happens. It's always going on, even when you're not thinking about it. And so the objective is, again, in the life of the church, not so much that we can say, oh, we have a problem that we have a congregation that doesn't have problems. <laughs> Um, because we are all human beings and we bring the brokenness of life in this world with us into the body of Christ. And at some point or another, you rub somebody the wrong way or you say the wrong word or you, or you, you know, you, mistakes are made. Uh, that is just life. But we have to be careful that we nip things in the bud because of the mission. And that mission is so all-important that we have to be quick to be humble, quick to forgive, quick to come together again and say, let's put this behind us. Let's go together, shoulder to shoulder, because we have a fight. We have a battle to win. And that is a battle where there's no vacation. There's no relaxation. Uh, the Lord Jesus says, be vigilant in his teaching to the disciples. Be on guard. You have guard duty 24-7 as Christians. You can't relax. You can't say, okay, now I'm just going to have my own time. Uh, even when you have your own time, your downtime, what are you hearing? What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you open to? Because we have a sinful inclination. And that sinful inclination is always with us, and that's part of the battle. It's not just the unbeliever out there, but it's the unbelief in me. And apart from the grace of God, I will be like them again. But by the Holy Spirit's uh, presence in our lives as believers, um, the means of grace 
keep our eyes focused on the battlefield, on the enemy. And the enemy is the world, most clearly. It is yourself, your sinful condition, your nature, shall we say, and, uh, and the devil. Uh, the devil doesn't take a vacation, does he? The devil doesn't uh, take a break. Uh, he doesn't take a personal day, shall we say. The devil is always looking for Christians who aren't paying attention. Finding a loophole. And I think all of us, when we're honest, we can readily admit that there have been plenty of times in our lives as Christians where we said, yes, that was a moment when I... Um, um, was not alert, was not vigilant. Um, and uh, in some cases it was minor. In some cases it could be developing into something that was rather major. Think about David again. We'll mention him again in our second service. But uh, David and Peter. Now how is it possible that these stalwarts, friends, closest friends of Christ, um, in their respective times, but uh, that they were able to accomplish a sin that was theirs that is so grievous and, and, and great. Well, it's because they were not on guard duty all the time, like we must be. And so the flesh is still powerfully present with us, and we cannot underrate that. We cannot underestimate that, um, or it will be to our own spiritual um, um, hurt and injury. Well, the weapons that are used, um, you know, the Apostle Paul certainly uh, emphasizes that, doesn't he? In the beginning, I mentioned already, we don't uh, battle uh, according to the flesh. Uh, we don't battle the way the world does. Uh, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to the strong divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Very militant, uh, isn't it, that language? And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to, be, uh, to punish every disobedience. I frankly don't understand fully and very completely what he is implying there in that last part, in verse 6, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. But I do have the sense, and some of the commentators make reference to this as well, that you know, Paul is um, thinking about the present, but as Paul thinks about the present condition, situation, the needs that are there, he is never not thinking about the ultimate fulfillment as well. And so that which is to come, the perfection, pleroma is the word in Greek, the fulfillment of all things, the consummation of all things. I think that maybe he has in mind that someday we will be in that position under God's governance that we are ready to punish every disobedience uh, when your obedience is complete, which won't be until Jesus comes again. But the fact of the matter is that those earlier comments uh, are very militant because we are in a war, we are in a battle, and we need weapons. We need weapons that are effective, and they're not the world's weapons. And so that is the point where we have to really distinguish clearly between what we think as Christians is the real battle that we fight 
and what is not the real battle that we fight. The real battle is to, that we fight is the gospel battle. Not the political battle, but the gospel battle. And we are competing with the world's ideas and philosophies, and we have to say, our covenant children, the people out there, we seek to make uh, reach with the gospel. How will we reach their minds? That's why uh, Ephesians 4 that we read as a law hints at that as well, that uh, you know, our minds need to be transformed by the truth. And so how will we be effective warriors if we don't understand the truth about ourselves, the truth about God, the truth about his purpose? Well, his purpose is that all the earth will be filled with his glory. That is what the mission of the church is working towards, isn't it? The time that will come when the glory of the Lord, the majesty of the Lord, the perfections of the Lord will cover the entire earth. And I would add to that the new earth, the restored order, the restored creation. There will come a day when everything is perfect, everything is flawlessly beautiful, and just exactly the way God wants it to be forever. Um, that is what, what God is working toward, and the Great Commission is a means to that end. But it is an important means. And so let us be focused on the mission of God through his church that we reach people whose minds need to be won for Christ. Their hearts need to be won for Christ. The Holy Spirit needs to win them over from the battlefield where darkness rules to the light and where life is victorious and is celebrated appropriately. And that requires that the gospel goes forth to all the nations and that the truth of the gospel, objective truth, absolute truth is proclaimed through God's people in word and deed. And so finally, I come to the outcome. I'm not talking about the ultimate outcome because that is pretty plain, right? We have the victory uh, already given us, even as Jesus called his disciples to be vigilant and so forth. He said also to them at the end of his ministry, and remember, I have overcome the world. So don't think that you are doing a battle for Jesus, and then at the end of that battle you say, now look, Jesus, we did it. <laughs> the battle has been won. But it needs to be implemented. And, and God uses you. In all your small ways, bigger ways. Sometimes you don't even think about how God is using you. And we look forward to that day where we hopefully will then see how God uses our lives to bless other people. To bless his name above all. Um, but the, the victory has been established when the cross was placed in the ground and the Messiah, our Lord, died on that cross, let his, shed his blood for us, and it was, uh, it was confirmed by the resurrection of our Savior um, those three days later after his crucifixion. That outcome is, is plain, but I'm talking about the outcome that the text is talking about. In verses 14, 15, 16 or so, uh, let me read that again and then try to explain that. Uh, he's talking about we will not boast beyond limits. Um, 
but will b because he is talking, of course, hinting at the fact that all these other critics of his, the super apostles, they are really boasting, and they are boasting uh, um, sinfully, um, and so um, th they have nothing good to say about Paul, and so Paul is kind of um, uh, he, he he's using their methodology um, to make a point. But he says, so we will not boast beyond limits, but we'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us. Um, that is, uh, we, we take him literally there. He is saying that those other people are, are not only true in that they're false believers to begin with, but one of the ways in which you can tell that they're false is that they are embarking upon, intruding upon his territory. Because the territory is not just his turf, Corinth, but that is the church that he established. And so it is a principle for the Apostle Paul not to uh, go into other uh, uh, preachers, evangelists, missionaries' fields um, so as to either cause disturbance or to take the glory for themselves. Um, that, that's just inappropriate. But he says, for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limits in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. This is his goal. Corinthians, get your act together. Restore relationships with one another. Acknowledge the fact that these others are false. They're not just competitors with Paul, but they're false. And remember who it was that brought you to Christ. And so when you do that, when you see things clearly, when you, when you recommit yourself to, to giving me the credit that I deserve, I am the one Christ assigned to come to you. And in the name of Christ Jesus, you were saved through his truth, um, as that is being accomplished, that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. Because in a way, it is holding him back. And the Apostle Paul is the apostle of the Gentiles, of the world. And we know from other parts in his letters that he wants to go on. He doesn't want to be held back by these problems and these people. He wants to go on to Spain. Whether he ever made it to Spain or not, we don't know for sure. But it was definitely his intent to go and reach Spain as well. He's the missionary pastor. He's the missionary apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the goal is to win the nations for Christ. And so that would be the application for us today. When there's trouble in the church, it, it's just not good. Um, trouble has to happen. That's just life on this side of heaven. But it is so important that we agree on the gospel, on the agree, agree on the authority of God's word, and how that authority of God's word has its ramifications and applications to the way we conduct ourselves in the body of Christ, how we treat one another, um, how, we, how, we, how we keep toxicity out by following the rules that the New Testament and God's word give to us by which to keep those things clean and pure and healthy so that the oxygen that you breathe is healthy, is good for the life of the church. Why? 
It's good for the church. It's good for fellowship. It's good for our, our experience of enjoying one another's brothers and sisters in Christ from Sunday to Sunday, week to week, when we meet one another, not just on Sundays, in Bible studies as well, let's say, or other types of fellowship, but for the sake of the gospel, that we would be focused on the purpose for which God placed us here. It is to reach the people of Colorado Springs. It's to reach the unbelievers who live in this city who without Christ will be lost forever. And um, that is the tension or that is the challenge that uh, the Apostle Paul, I believe, um, uh, embeds in this passage when he speaks about the hope that he has for them because that is a Christian missionary hope that the hope that we have as believers that one day when Jesus comes again, he will call us into fellowship with himself in heaven, that there will be all those hosts of other nations and peoples who will join us in that experience of being welcomed into the eternal service of the living God when he calls us home. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and how you used him, Lord, um, powerfully in the midst of his weakness because he is ready to admit that, um, that uh, there's nothing to boast about when it comes to Paul himself. So in that regard, maybe the, uh, the critics uh, scored some points, but that is not Paul's dispute. And Lord, I thank you that you have given him such integrity when he was serving you in this world, uh, he was always focused on his calling as an apostle, as a servant, an ambassador of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the gospel that all nations need and need to be captivated by, made prisoner of the truth so that they will actually be all set free. Heavenly Father, help us to be a blessing to men and women that you would place on our path this week who do not have the hope that we have within them. Lord, use us to grant them that gift as well. Heavenly Father, hear our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.